detoxification and health. It's kind of a strange topic. Um, in fact, every time I, I mention or bring up this topic with patients, sometimes I get strange looks. Uh, what do you mean detoxification? You mean our body need, we need, to, we need to consider how to detoxify our body? Can't the body just do that on its own? Well, that's what the body should be doing. The problem is that since 1945, after World War II, over 100,000 toxins have been developed and released into our environment. Toxins that weren't, weren't on this earth prior to World War II. We are in a new age, in a new paradigm. Health today is much harder to achieve simply because we're essentially exposed to so many things that can break the system down. So today I want to discuss with you how we should relate to this topic of toxicities. Where does it come from uh, and what can we do about it? A big theme of this series has been understanding how to change our epigenome to change the expression of our genes. We are all born with thousands of really healthy genes and potentially thousands of genes that aren't really that great, that set us up, predispose us to all kinds of disease, disability, and potentially premature death. The question is now not whether we have those genes, but what do we do with those genes? And that's what our exposome is. Our exposome is everything in our world, in our environment. Everything that we eat, everything that we drink, everything that we think, everything that we do, the air we breathe, every activity that we're involved in, that's our exposome. The challenge with our exposome, as we've been outlining throughout this series, is that there's, there's this power of food to alter genetic expression, but what many people don't realize is that the majority of toxins that we're exposed to come to us through what? Through food. And so it's critical for us to, to at least stop and contemplate a what foods are most likely to bring with it toxins that can tear down our human system? So there's good food, there's bad food, and as we look at our exposome, as we, as we look at what we're eating, the problem with fast food isn't just the fact that it's depleted in nutrients, which is critical, because you see... It's the nutrients that come from food, or I should say the healthy nutrients that should be coming from food, those are the chemicals that actually can help neutralize toxins. Those are the nutrients that actually help get in the way of toxins so they don't hook up to the genes and to receptor sites and to enzymes causing destruction and haman throughout our system. So 
the problem with fast food is not only that it doesn't give us the nutrients that we need, but it actually brings with it toxins that have been added to it to make it more convenient and, believe it or not, to make it more tasty. It's, again, the healthy foods, the, the foods that come to us from nature, the colorful, natural, whole plant foods, they're actually the antitoxins. Now, once in a while I get a question that says, well, wait a minute, Doc, uh, you know, it's... All those vegetables and fruits, they get sprayed with toxins. What about that? I don't, I don't want to expose myself to these toxins. So they're concerned about even eating whole plant-based foods. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a problem with those type of toxins. What I am saying, though, is that if you avoid eating whole foods whole plant-based foods, you are going to have more of a toxin problem than even if you consumed whole plant foods that had been sprayed with toxins. That's a a real critical thing to understand. What's even more critical to understand is where the majority of toxins come from in the food supply. And it's certainly not from sprayed fruits and vegetables. As, as critical as that might be, that's not the main issue. The main issue with toxicity is consuming a food that has been building up toxins during its entire lifetime. When we talk about mercury and fish, isn't it sad that a food that historically was so healthy, especially for, for island cultures. Fishing was a key part of their diet and, and their health. And now, essentially, you can't find fish that aren't loaded with mercury. They don't have a significant enough level of mercury that they could impact your health in a negative way. That's why even the U.S. government is saying to women who are pregnant or breastfeeding, or for small children, make sure you don't eat too much fish. You know, the, the, the government frequently is the last organization that's going to tell you not to eat something. Why would that be? Because there's, there's too much vested interest. There's too many lobbyists out there saying, don't do that. And so any good politician will tell you, don't talk about the things you shouldn't do. Don't talk about things in the negative. Focus on the positive. That's why, by the way, the war on obesity has shifted almost entirely from food to exercise. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not down in exercise. You know, that was my original interest, going through college and sports medicine and, and exercise physiology. I love exercise. Exercise is good for us for a lot of reasons. But what we eat has such a a more powerful influence on our health that we need to understand what foods are best for us. 
So, so typically, the government will shy away from saying, don't eat these kind of foods, because politically, it's, it's a dangerous territory to be in. But, but even these organizations are saying, be really careful consuming fish, especially if you're pregnant, breastfeeding, or, or, or your children are small. Why? Because mercury is a real issue. It's a neurotoxin. We're living in an age where Alzheimer's has exploded uh, twofold over the last decade. And we're trying to come to grip with all the factors that might be relating to Alzheimer's and dementia and all these other illnesses. And we recognize that toxicities in our environment are a key part of that. So what happens is that the the little fish eat the plants or the little teeny organisms in the ocean that have been exposed to the mercury fallout from coal burning all around the world and other sources. And then slightly bigger fish eat those fish. And they consume in one single gulp or two gulps the entire amount of mercury that that smaller fish had consumed during its entire life. Then a larger fish comes along and consumes that fish and now has taken in the entire amount of mercury that that fish has taken in from all the other fish that it's eaten. You get the picture? That's what we call bio-magnification until you get to the predatory fish, right? The large fish. They are now seriously high in mercury. We got to be careful. Got to be careful. So what other foods are loaded with toxins? I'd like to suggest to you that any, any animal that is consumed for food has been biomagnifying toxin its entire life. Of course, depending on what it's consuming. So the amount of toxins that you consume even in an organic meat is going to be far higher than the amount of toxins you consume even when consuming fruits and vegetables that have been sprayed. I say that because that's a little bit hard to accept, even for me. But I'm just trying to present a kind of a different way of looking at this. We, we need to understand where the toxins are coming from so that we can make choices. Now to be the last one to say, you have to eat this way or you have to eat like me, I don't believe that, that I have the right to tell you what to eat. I don't believe that anybody has the right to tell I don't believe the government has the right to tell you what to eat. You know, there's, there's some places that are trying to outlaw mackerel and predatory fish in restaurants, right? Because of the mercury content. Well, shouldn't that be up to you? Right? We don't need a government organization to tell us what we can and can't eat. But, but you need to, and I need to understand what's at stake. What are the benefits? What are the risks? We need to understand this process. 
what is our exposome and how does that relate to toxicity in our lives? Another theme that has been moving through this entire series is that of inflammation. Anytime we're exposed to a toxin, that toxin is going to create inflammation. So the number one killer among adults around the world is what? It's heart disease, cardiovascular disease. Do you know that that is actually primarily, in my opinion, it's primarily an issue of toxicity? Actually, it's not just my opinion. This is, this is solid scientific information. The, uh, the, the key here is to understand that the degree of inflammation in our body can change quickly. And this, this is actually a slide by an eminent physician who goes all around the country lecturing on how we as clinicians can catch our risk for heart disease early. Saying inflammation can change from day to day and week to week. And in an individual who has other risk factors for heart disease, we need to pay attention to this. And what's really critical to understand is that plaque can build up inside the artery walls very quickly. This is not something that takes years and decades to develop. It could. It could take that long. But more importantly, we need to recognize that plaque can actually build up in weeks depending on what's going on inside that vascular bed, the artery wall itself. There is a test available today. It's considered what we call an advanced cardiovascular risk factor. And it's currently available in a profile that I like to order on is every patient who's willing to listen to me called the Hunter Heart Profile. It includes this, which is the LP-PLA2 plaque test. We refer to it as the plaque test for short because essentially it is actually monitoring the release of an enzyme in the blood that only comes from foam cells. These are the actual cells inside the artery wall that are forming plaque. I want to know whether I have this problem or not. Won't you? Don't you? Uh, I want to know if I'm actually forming plaque, and if I am, I want to figure out exactly what I need to do to reverse that process. You see, there's always a cause and effect. Once we find out what our risk is, then we can do that reverse detective work to figure out, well, what is, it, what is actually causing that inflammatory process inside the vascular bed of the artery wall that is promoting a rapid or even a slow buildup of plaque in our carotid arteries in the neck, in the coronary arteries of the heart, arteries anywhere in the body. The, it's very interesting that the best science on this right now, if you talk to anybody who's done research on heart disease, who understands pathology, will tell you that heart disease or atherosclerosis begins when a toxin is introduced into the arterial wall. Huh. 
well, maybe we should be talking about where that toxin came from. Maybe we should be asking the question, well, how can we decrease the amount of toxins getting into the artery wall? Because, see, it's the toxin that then gets into that cholesterol molecule that then turns it into an aggressive inflammatory molecule that attracts white blood cells, and that in turn creates this plaque, this foam cell development. It's the white blood cells that come flooding into the area to try to clean up that toxic area, that toxic infection or just chemical toxin that turns into a foam cell, like styrofoam, that causes that plaque to build up. So I want you to be thinking about heart disease as being strongly related to some type of exposure to toxins. And then we need to reason from cause to effect and figure out what's our most likely exposure to those toxins. It all starts with an awareness of seeing where we're at. Looking at, the, looking at the labs, figuring out, am I okay, or do I need to put a little bit more work into this? Another test that we have commented on several times is this apolipoprotein E. Uh, for short, we just call it the APOE gene mutation test, which can be a valuable tool to evaluate our risk for heart disease, for plaque buildup, but also dramatically for Alzheimer's. We mentioned last time that if you have two copies of this APOE gene, your risk for Alzheimer's goes up as much as 34-fold. That's over 3,000%. But remember, understanding this risk doesn't mean that you have to accept the consequences. What it means is that now we have some information that we can use to alter that future destiny that could lead to heart disease, but if we're paying attention, or could lead to Alzheimer's, but if we pay attention and act on that risk factor, do something about it, we can largely negate that influence simply because we understand our risk. Isn't that beautiful? We have a chance now. So it's critical to understand that when we have these gene mutations, when we have these other risk factors, essentially what it means is that we're now more predisposed to these toxins that influence our health. In other words, some of us need to be far more careful with what we allow into our exposome than others. That really goes without saying. We all kind of know that, but it's easy to forget and let things slide by, and it's easy to think of ourselves, um, well, you know, if she can eat that, then I should be able to eat that too. <laughs> or if he can do those things, I should be able to do those things too. But see, when it comes to health, Comparing ourselves to other people doesn't work out very well because we're all so genetically and biochemically different. We're unique. We're biologically unique. 
So never compare yourself to somebody else. Somebody else that you might look up to, that you might think is so much healthier than you, might actually be much less healthy than you are. There's, there's individuals who, who I hear once in a while talking about that, oh, my cholesterol is 150 or even 140. And because their cholesterol is so low, they walk around assuming that they're super healthy. When in fact, that may not be the case at all. Health, wellness is not determined by one, two, three, four, five, or even ten different risk factors. It's looking at the big picture. And more important, it's being willing to humble ourselves in such a way where we're actually looking for our weaknesses. You know, human nature naturally causes us to shy away from finding our weaknesses, right? We want to we emphasize our strengths. We, wanna, we want to brag about or have somebody else brag about our strengths. But it's so easy for us to continue to forget about those weaknesses or, or not even want to know what they are. I remember, uh, or I remember when I mentioned that as a 24-year-old, I discovered that my cholesterol was 244, right? I, I thought I was Mr. Fitness, you know, Mr. Health, and, and I, I thought of myself as the healthiest person I knew. Boy, was that like egotistic or what? That's just, you know, I just, that's, I just thought I was because I was so interested in health, and, and I tried to live up to what I knew, but it turned out that what I knew had little to do with what was actually happening inside me. See, that's the difference between book knowledge and a general understanding of wellness and the willingness to actually go and get tested for yourself and see what's really happening inside of me. And so, fortunately, I had that I'm okay bubble popped when I was 24. Some people walk around their whole lives thinking, I'm okay. I don't need to change because they have no idea what their real risk is. But I was fortunate that I, I kind of got blindsided and forced to look at this when I was a young man. And I believe that that has saved me an immense amount of misery and health challenges 30 years later. So let's take a look at detoxification and healing. What, 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 how can we achieve optimal wellness by paying attention to this process of detoxification? I'm going to share with you several, several statements that I gleaned from this book by Dr. Sidney Baker. Dr. Baker is a family physician from uh, Yale University professor, taught there for many years, retired now. But as he contemplated what he had learned in medical school and how he taught many medical students, he realized that there's some things that he hadn't really appreciated. And after retirement, he wrote this book called Detoxification and Healing. And not written by just anybody. It was written by a Yale University 
School of Medicine professor. The, the question is, well, why do I need to detoxify or consider what is going on in my body? And this is a quote from Dr. Cindy Baker. Illness and disease will affect the body's detoxification chemistry, and if there's something wrong with detoxification, any other health problem will be aggravated. So no matter what you're predisposed to genetically, if you have a problem in your ability to remove toxins naturally, you're in trouble. You're not going to be able to achieve optimal wellness for you. That's why that, this is so important. By the way, you'll, you're, hopefully you're beginning to see how this integrates with everything else that we've been talking about. Toxicities strongly influence autoimmunity. Optimal digestion is a key part of helping your body detoxify. Optimizing circulation is critical in this process and so forth. We're going to be talking about the importance of sleep. That's a key part of detoxification. If you're not sleeping well, you're not detoxifying well. It's all interrelated. It's important to understand that there's actually a molecular basis for health and disease. Just recently, I had the privilege to meet some molecular pathologists that, that are collaborating with us in putting together a research project to see the epigenetic changes that can occur in diabetic patients and people with heart disease. It's key to understand this at a molecular level because, see, everything operates at a molecular level. Our thoughts are not just, you know, ethereal gases floating through our body. Our thoughts are actually have a molecular basis to them. They're physical, just like moving muscles back and forth is physical. Thoughts are physical. They are an expression of our lives. So optimal health and the potential to heal requires that we provide all the necessary elements to optimize the system and remove any interfering elements. These are the two key aspects of any wellness program, of any healing program. You have to have these two. I'm going to read it again. This is critical. Optimal health and the potential to heal requires that we provide all the necessary elements to optimize the system and remove any interfering elements. Nutrients are the necessary elements. That's the way it's always been. Without these necessary elements, your body can't heal. So eating a healthy diet isn't isn't really primarily about optimizing weight or lowering your cholesterol or even lowering your blood sugars. It's really primarily about giving you the very building blocks by which the body can heal. That's the bottom line. But it doesn't stop there. That's the number one importance right there, the proper nutrients, the necessary elements. But we also need to understand that toxins are the interfering elements. Now, it's also important to recognize that 
Toxins aren't just those things that come to us from the outside. We refer to them as the exotoxins, things that come from the outside. Things that mercury that comes from burning coal. Other toxins that are spread around the country because of spraying, etc. But there's also a very important endotoxin. Actually, it's many endotoxins. These are toxins that even a healthy body produces minute by minute, day by day. Our bodies, if they are alive, are producing toxins. That's just the way it is. The body is constantly taking in oxygen and then trying to remove carbon dioxide. If you can't remove carbon dioxide, it will become toxic. The kidneys are constantly removing toxins that are a natural byproduct of metabolizing food, of breaking down protein. And so the body's actually designed to be able to remove lots of toxins. So that's where our study should begin. Is that, well, how does the body normally do this? And how can we help the body do its job well? Essentially, it's by making sure that every system of the body is working well. So the key in this molecular basis for health and disease is to recognize, as I mentioned, that everybody is different. In other words, don't let anybody tell you that because this was good for them, it should be good for you as well. You have to be able to show that this is actually valuable and important for you. Don't let anybody put you into a statistical model that if if this treatment is good for most people, then it must be good for you too. Case in point, there was a, a professor at Stanford who wrote a grant for $40,000 so that he could have his entire genome sequenced. This was some years ago when it cost $40,000. And from that under, great understanding of all the different genes he had and all the different mutations he had, he learned a lot of things. And one of the things he learned that he was actually at risk of a special form of heart disease because of several genes that he had that were unique to that experience of having that unique form of heart disease. He also found that he was a higher risk of diabetes but he also discovered that he, that he had the genetic profile of somebody who would not benefit at all from the medicine metformin, which is considered largely to be the very best medicine for somebody who has type 2 diabetes. Unless they have serious kidney failure, that's the best medicine for them. Do you know what the studies show that 30%, one-third of humans have genes that mean metformin does not work for them? 
but nobody gets tested for that. There's some people that have been taking metformin for 20 years, and it doesn't do them any good at all. So that's why we're, again, we're moving into this new paradigm of of genetic medicine where we can figure out what is good for you compared to what is good for me. Everybody is different. Each individual's health benefits from having the right molecules in the right amounts. Statement made by a two-time Nobel laureate, Dr. Linus Pauling the father of orthomolecular medicine. Essentially, he was way ahead of his time. He, I have heard lectures where his name was derided in front of large groups of health professionals, referring to him as uh, unscientific and a quack. A two-time Nobel laureate because his ideas somehow got in the way with the current paradigm. The people who knew Dr. Linus Pauling actually referred to him as one of the brightest intellectuals of the age. He had this uncanny ability to look at a problem and understand it at its deepest levels. You know, there's some people that just understand something, but they can't explain it to you, right? They just know. They just know. Well, how did you come up with that? I don't know. I just know. You know, these, there's kids these days, right? They can, they can get in a computer and do stuff like, I had no idea computers could do that. And I say, whoa, 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 stop. How'd you do that? Oh, I don't know. I just, I just, where'd you learn that? I don't know. It's just a lot, a lot of stuff rattling around in my head. You know, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Well, Dr. Linus Pauling was one of those individuals in science. And that's why the top scientists who spent any time with him recognized his brilliance, his genius. And yet his name is still derided in scientific circles because because he was one that promoted, hey, you should have more of the healing elements in your body. You should focus more on taking in those very nutrients that can neutralize toxins. That's too simple. That can't be it. A study was done uh, a couple years ago, published in 2010, and it was, um, it was published in a, in a scientific journal that was actually a consortium of many different biologists, a federation of biologists, a well-respected scientific journal. And they, they had done a, a very interesting study that related to rapid aging disease, Werner's syndrome. And so it's important to understand as we look at the study that people with Werner's syndrome begin to show signs of accelerated aging in their 20s. They develop age-related disease and generally die before the age of 50. I, I went to school with somebody who had accelerated aging disease. As a freshman in college, he was the most handsome of men on campus. 
Within three years, he looked like he'd aged 30 years. Within eight years, he was in a wheelchair. His skin had turned from a beautiful olive complexion, dark black hair, to rough patches of of gray all over and, and mottled skin, health falling apart, couldn't walk anymore. So it's a horrible, horrible disease. Well, these scientists actually showed that vitamin C stops and even reverses accelerated aging in a group of mice that had a similar genetic disease to Werner syndrome. Let's take a look at this. Before adding the vitamin C to their drinking water, the mice with the mutant WRN gene were fat, diabetic, and were rapidly developing heart disease and cancer. It's a bad combination. Correcting the relative insufficiency of vitamin C in these mutated mice led to improved fat burning, decreased tissue inflammation, less oxidative stress. After treatment with the vitamin C, just having the mice drink the water that had vitamin C in it, these mutant mice, they were mutant mice, they had this horrible gene that led, if unaddressed, to rapid accelerated aging, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity. They were as healthy and lived as long as the non-mutant mice. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm I'm not saying that if everybody just took vitamin C, all your problems would be solved. That certainly is not the case. What I am saying is, is that we as individuals need to understand what are the factors that are predisposing us to disease, to unnecessary oxidative stress. And the answer should be looked for in answering the two basic questions of wellness. Are we getting exposed to all the necessary nutrients that we need for our given genetic tendencies? And are we paying attention to removing our unnecessary exposure to toxins that greatly increase our need for those very nutrients? So it's important for us to understand that so much of healthcare is focusing on treating symptoms versus the cause. And Dr. Sidney Baker, in his grandfatherly way, he came up with these rules, which he calls the thumbtack rules. This, this, is, this is precious. Take a look at this. If you're sitting on a tack, says Dr. Sidney Baker, it takes a lot of aspirin to make you feel good. You get the picture, okay? If you're sitting on a tack, what do you, you, well, just like, man, I'm really hurting here. I need some more aspirin, okay? What should be your first thought? Don't treat the symptom. Fix the cause of the problem. Get that tack out of your behind, right? Now, but this is even more precious. If you're sitting on two tacks, removing just one does not result in a 50% improvement. Now, This is more subtle, but much more important for us to understand. 
Because so oftentimes, I have heard people say, oh yeah, I tried that. I tried going on a healthy diet. I felt worse. I tried switching uh, my diet over. I tried exercise. It didn't work. My blood sugars went up when I started exercising. I'm never going to do that again. I've heard it all, right? Now, what does that, that, those statements, what do they really represent? They represent somebody who, for whatever reason, they are unwilling to really do what it takes to figure out how to optimize healing in the body. Is it possible that somebody can switch to a plant-based diet and feel worse? Absolutely. Okay? I mean, we need to do this wisely. That's why we need to pay attention to individuals who understand how to do this, who spend their lives developing cookbooks and and approaches to to cooking this food properly so that it not only is good for you, but it actually tastes good, right? Cookbooks like Naturally Gourmet, cookbooks like uh, that, that focus on helping you, helping guide you to make good decisions in a way that you can feel good about it. Sometimes you need to actually have somebody walk you through these strategies because there's so much going on in your health. You do one good thing and it actually backfires somewhere else. Oftentimes that backfiring comes because you quickly become overmedicated. And if your physician isn't eager to help you decrease your medications, when you start making positive, healthy decisions in exercising more often and and eating the right diet, your need for blood pressure medications, your need for blood sugar medications begins to drop fairly quickly. And if you're not monitoring sugars, if you're not monitoring blood pressure, you could get to the point where you're feeling a whole lot worse and you could be in the ER trying to figure out why you're doing so badly and then blame it all on the exercise program and the diet, when in fact those were the very things that were making you so healthy that now you were being over-medicated. The answer is pay attention and be aggressive about adjusting the medicines with the help of your doctor. Real, real critical factors to consider. So it's, it's really critical to understand here that when it, comes from, uh, when it comes to cardiovascular disease, there, there are actually uh, two main factors that I think that are driving cardiovascular disease that get very little attention, and that is toxins and, number two, infections. Low-grade infections actually create a toxic environment in the bloodstream that increase inflammation and therefore speed up the plaque formation. Let me tell you a story about a lady in Redlands, California about 20 years ago. A friend had brought some boxes from out of state that had been stored in her garage. 
And one day she was uh, rummaging through the, uh, her garage trying to clean up. And as she was moving one of the boxes, a spider bit her right on the arm. Fortunately, she noticed that it was a brown recluse spider. She, she looked at it and, you know, it hurt. Uh, uh, a, day, a day goes by and she's in tremendous pain. She goes to her doctor and her doctor looked it up. Sure enough, yeah, it was brown recluse. No known antidote. At the time, the only, the only known strategy was to actually take a surgically removed tissue around that bite in hopes of removing some of the venom, some of the toxin. So that's what they did. But these toxins kept spreading and spreading, and she, and she, she noticed that she was having horrible circulation through her arm, and within a week's time, she was experiencing chest pains. They did a more careful evaluation and found that she had significant plaque buildup in her arteries in her heart. Somebody who had no risk factors prior to that spider bite. Atherosclerosis, heart disease, can actually occur, can occur in days and weeks if you're being exposed to a significant toxin or infection. She ended up having to have heart surgery two weeks later. But you know what could have saved all of that? If she would have been aware that something as simple as activated charcoal, activated charcoal, and made a little poultice with with uh, flaxseed oil or olive oil and put it right on top of that spider bite and changed it every couple hours, it would essentially been resolved within days. The medicinal value of activated charcoal has to be addressed in any lecture that deals with detoxification. If, if I was asked to go to a third world country that just had a major catastrophe, or that was just suffering the typical ills of infectious disease and intestinal diseases, and I could only take one medicinal product, it would be this. It would actually be the powdered charcoal, the, the, the powdered, activated charcoal. I would take as much of it as I could. I could tell you story after story of the external and internal uses of activated charcoal. It's very inexpensive. I remember years ago, when I still lived in Guam, we, we, had been, we were visiting relatives in Ohio, and my youngest daughter, who was just three years old at the time, I believe, Katie, uh, came down with, with an intestinal flu. Well, I knew that all I needed to do is go get some activated charcoal, and she'd be fine. 
So I go to one pharmacy, never heard of it. I go to another pharmacy, never heard of it. So finally, I went to a third larger pharmacy, and I, again, I went and I asked to talk to the pharmacist, and he goes, oh, yeah, no, activated charcoal, oh, yeah, I know about that. I said, no, but that's, that's full folk medicine. We got much better medicines now. And I said, I beg to disagree. There's nothing. There's nothing more effective for intestinal uh, infections, intestinal flu of any kind. Then activated charcoal. See, but it's so cheap, nobody makes any money on it, so nobody markets it. Um, let me tell you a trick on how to use it. Some years ago, still while living in Guam, my two daughters, Maddie was age 10 and Katie was around age 5 at the time, and I'd come home late one evening from doing a lecture much like this, And as I drove in, as I walked in the door, my wife Betsy said, "Um, hey, Wes, um, the girls, their tummies are kind of sick. There's been some type of thing going around the neighborhood, and they're they're getting sick. So I looked at them, and I could see their, you know, the the look on their face, you know, hunched over. I could tell their tummies weren't feeling very good. They were kind of like, looking at me like pleading like little puppies, like, I don't know what's wrong, but just fix me. And so I said, oh, no problem. Daddy's going to make you a black shake. And I remember thinking, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But they were like, you know, that shake part sounded good, but that black shake, yeah, they weren't quite too keen on that. So Maddie, being the curious one, the oldest daughter, she walked up to me as I was I pulled out the charcoal container and scooped out a heaping teaspoon of charcoal. Uh, you got to put it inside the sink because that charcoal is so fine, it'll go everywhere, everywhere. So you put it in the sink, put the glass with ice cold water in the sink with you, and then carefully transfer the charcoal into the cup. Mix it up thoroughly because if there's a little film of charcoal on top of that water and you Go to take a, a drink of water. You always take a breath first, right? So you can drink that charcoal, go right into your lunch. Now, that's not the end of the world, but that's not what you're trying to accomplish there. You don't want to be coughing for the next couple minutes. So I mixed it up, and as Maddie saw me mix up this charcoal black shake, she goes, oh, Daddy, I, I, that doesn't look very good. And so I instantly realized my mistake. I shouldn't have let her. You know, you want to put it into a, some type of carton or colored cup with a, a colored straw so they don't notice that it's black and yucky looking. And, uh, and so I said, instantly I realized what I needed to do. So I said, oh, honey, this isn't for you. This is for daddy. I don't want to get sick like you. So I, I proceeded to drink that entire black shake. And she kind of watched me like, you know, and then she said, well, what about me? And I said, oh, honey, would you like some too? And of course, she goes, "Uh, uh (laughs) uh-huh. And so then I made one for her, and I made sure it's cold. The trick is to make it cold. You put ice cubes, you get ice cold water, you put ice cubes in, mix it up thoroughly, put a straw in there, and have them drink the whole thing, about four or five ounces, full heaping teaspoon. It actually, when it's cold, it actually, it's almost minty. I don't know how else to describe it. It's it's cool. 
It feels cool drinking it. Now, if you drink that in just regular tap water, it's going to taste like you're drinking chalk, right? It's not going to be very tasty. So then Katie came and Sean, big sister, did it, so she's going to do it too. But you know, within 30 minutes, they were fine. And more importantly, they slept the entire night. Dad and mom didn't have to wake up four or five times to help the wretching little girls take care of their problems. We all got a good night's sleep that night. Fast forward about, oh, this must have been about three years later. Katie is now about eight years old, and this was one night here in Temecula, and, and and as I came home that night, um, Betsy had said something about Katie, you know, wasn't feeling real good. And I looked at her. She looked all right to me. I just, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went to bed, forgetting about that. About 2.30 in the morning, I feel this presence above me. I'm laying in bed, and she must have been leaning on the bed where, you know, you just know something's wrong. So I had, and she had this long, wispy blonde hair that was kind of tickling. Right? And, so, and, and, and as I opened my eyes, and there she was staring right down at me. And it startled me. And as I was trying to wake up to see what was going on, she said, Daddy, I don't feel very good. I'm going to throw up. So I jumped out of bed, grabbed her, rushed to the master uh, bedroom uh, toilet, got her there just in time, and as I'm holding her Goldilocks back as she's retching into the toilet, she's saying to me, Daddy, can you make me a, a, a black shake? <laughs> she knew. 2.30 in the morning, while well, she's feeling horrible, she knew the antidote. She knew exactly what needed to be done. Why? because she'd experienced the benefit some three years before. I went and got that black shake, made sure she drank all of it. Laid her down in bed with us. She fell asleep within a few minutes. I carried her back to her bed, covered her up, went to my bed, and slept the rest of the night. Tell me that that's not a medical value of charcoal. She slept the whole night, and so did her mom and I. That is valuable. There's all kinds of medicinal uses of charcoal. In fact, my, my oldest daughter now, who has done um, a mission work in Peru and Mexico and other places, she is the local natural healer. Why? Because she takes a bottle, a container of charcoal everywhere she goes. And she's helped sometimes a lot more people than the local doctor that was there to help us. <laughs> so uh, take advantage of that. Now, um, there are actually many detoxifying strategies that are natural. About two years ago, I did a dinner with a doctor right here, and the, the title of that talk was Detoxifying for a New Year. If you want to learn about the natural strategies, the eight natural laws, and how 
by following them, they help your body detoxify. Go to YouTube and just type in Dr. Wes Youngberg Detox, and you'll see that hour-long presentation that goes beyond what we're discussing today, looking at natural remedies. But I want to tell you about one right now, which is sauna therapy or hot, cold water therapy. There are cultures around the world that have taken the time and the effort to, on a fairly regular basis, do sauna or some type of hydrotherapy, water therapy. It's something amazing about, about heating up your body to the point where you're starting to get uncomfortable and then going and taking a really cold shower or taking a swim in a frozen lake or ocean or dipping yourself in an ice chill pool and then coming back to the hot portion. Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. The first sign of a cold or flu or any sickness of infectious nature coming on, if you take the time to do some hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold therapy, it can dramatically boost your immune cells. It can dramatically increase the production of B cells that make antibodies specifically against a virus that's starting to overwhelm you. I guarantee you, you'll feel a lot better after doing hot, cold therapy. It can be as simple as going into your shower and just gradually turning it as hot as you can take it on your chest and throat area. Now, obviously, make sure that you're regulating that carefully so you don't burn yourself. Three minutes or four minutes hot, and then turn it all the way cold. Now, here in California, we don't really know what cold is. Uh, but we do our best, right? You can actually get a shallow pan of ice water that's right outside the shower or bath, and you can actually grab that ice and rub it over your chest and throat area for about 30 seconds and then go back to hot, three to four minutes, and then back to cold for 30 seconds. Do that three times, and it will invigorate your immune system powerfully. But there's something special about sauna or hot hot therapies is that they create a sweat. And every time you sweat, you release toxins. It's, it would be a good rule to have to bring yourself to a sweat every day. Some way, somehow. Either through exercise or through some other sweat or sauna therapy. In February, earlier this year, I had the privilege to do a, a series of talks like this in the beautiful country of Finland. Yeah, even in February, it was beautiful there. But what really intrigued me about Finland was the Finnish sauna houses that were right on the Baltic Sea. We were right there at our conference center, right there on the Baltic Sea. You could just see the islands um, and... And I mentioned several times in my lectures, says, man, next time I come to Finland, I want to make sure I do Finnish sauna. So after my last lecture, a lady came up to me and says, we live just right down the street, right across from this conference center. 
And my husband has a Finnish sauna in our house. He would love to be your host this afternoon. Would you like to come? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was in Guam, one of my favorite things to do was every afternoon I'd go to the steam room and do that hot and cold three times after I'd walked on the white sand beaches for 20, 30 minutes. Well, okay. Can't stay in paradise forever. But I haven't found that here in Southern California, right? We're too busy, it seems, to do those type of therapies. But in Finland, I had a wonderful time in the sauna overlooking the Baltic Sea. And then we walked out on the ice. It was uh, ice was this thick. Iron ladder in, in a hole three feet by three feet. We took the plunge into the ocean. It was like a, going into a slurpee came out, and then we sat out on the porch for 10 minutes in that freezing weather, and it wasn't cold. Why? Because we just come out of the Baltic Sea, right? And, and, and this doctor, who's an infectious disease specialist who'd worked in Sierra Leone working with lepers, he said, he said, there's two ways to get a dramatic enhancement of your immune system, that, that runner's high or that endorphin high. Says you can run 10 miles, or you can just do Finnish sauna. That sounded good to me. That afternoon, or that evening, after a two-hour drive to Helsinki, I was able to actually swim in the Helsinki Bay, where they had cut out a whole swimming pool size of the bay, ice again this thick. Swimming, then go to the sauna. It's a beautiful experience where you get to know people. And in the process, you're detoxifying. Every day that you sweat, you're detoxifying. Even heavy metals are removed by that detoxification process. So there there are some transforming tests that we need to consider as we look at at detoxification. A a key test that we want to pay attention to is simply measuring your iron levels and measuring the the storage form of iron called ferritin. If your body has a tendency to store iron in the form of ferritin, that becomes toxic to your body. And that will increase whatever risk you already have towards heart disease and diabetes and cancer in so many other conditions. It's a simple thing to measure. For whatever reason, it's not part of the normal physical. Sometimes Medicare will deny it when I order it, unless we find that it's too low or too high. But it's worth paying for out of your own pocket to know, do I have an iron overload problem? Because that in itself can cause a heart attack or diabetes all by itself or retinal detachment, or other complications of disease. Other tests are looking at ammonia. We don't have time to talk about all of these, uh, but if they're abnormal, they need to be addressed. There's nutritional strategies for fixing them. Um, Liver enzymes. Obviously, if your liver enzymes are high, that means your liver, the main detoxification organ, is struggling 
What's the liver supposed to be doing? It's supposed to be going through phase one and phase two detoxification. And if it can't do that effectively, cells inside the liver, the hepatocytes, start dying off way too quickly. And when they die off, they release their enzymes as the cells break apart. And that's why the liver enzymes are high. Rapid cell death causes high levels of liver enzymes. We've got to pay attention to that. Homocysteine is a blood test that suggests that, that there is a toxic buildup of certain normally occurring chemicals that increases problems throughout the body. Mercury and lead. I've got to tell you a quick story. In Guam, I had a patient who came to me who was very health conscious. She uh, was... She had her own kiosk in the local mall selling jewelry to, to tourists. She ate lots of vegetables. She, uh, she stayed away from meats. She ate fish. She was just trying to do everything that was healthy for her. But she had horrible fatigue. So her husband had been on the circuit looking for somebody that could figure out what the problem was. It just so happens that I just read an article by an internist in San Francisco who had had a case very similar to this. This was an executive lady who, who uh, always ate well, exercised every day, but was increasingly becoming more and more fatigued, more and more sickly, couldn't figure out what it was. So this very sharp internist, she kept... She didn't just do the same tests over and over again. She started studying. See, if you have a health problem, you want to go to somebody that's going to study your condition, not just give you a whole bunch of things that they normally do for everybody. They need to study your condition to figure out what is it that's specifically going on in your health that's influencing the process. So as she would rule things in or out, she discovered finally she said, let's do a mercury test. Let's see. Her symptoms suggest that maybe she could be mercury toxic, but she wasn't working anywhere where she'd be exposed to mercury. But it turns out that the mercury test came back, and it was 26. Even by the not-so-very-conservative standards of many of these labs, that was a high value. So a quick evaluation of diet helped them realize that in her attempt to stay away from red meats and even chicken, which is very high in arsenic, she was consuming her favorite fish, which was mackerel, a fish that happens to be quite high in the food chain, meaning that there had been significant biologic accumulation or, or biomagnification of mercury. Getting off that fish, completely away from fish, after a year, brought her mercury levels down to normal. But it took a while. Well, this lady that I was seeing then, I said, well, let's check your mercury level. It was 46. It was sky high. It was almost double what this other amazing case study in San Francisco had been. And so uh, I, I remember talking to her and discovering, yes, she did like fish. But I'm thinking, huh, 
you know, everybody in Guam eats fish, <laughs> right? So this can't be the only thing going on. So I started quizzing her about other things. And then a thought occurred to me. The jewelry that she was selling at the kiosk was actually cheap jewelry that was made with mercury. And every day she would grab a little ring and show it to somebody and then grab it and put it back. And she was constantly touching these rings that were contaminated with mercury. Wait a minute. Are you saying that I could actually get mercury toxicity by touching jewelry that has mercury in it? Absolutely. You can get lead toxicity by carrying around lead pipes. I've seen it in my patients. See, whatever you touch can get into your blood. Understand that. In fact, whatever you put on your hands or on your body gets into your blood too. Pay attention to that. We need to understand how we're exposing our body. And we could talk all day about mercury and lead. Those are critical, uh, critical factors. There's other tests that we should consider. Magnesium. Because, see, magnesium is the very element, the very healing nutrient that should be attached to certain receptors in areas of the body that mercury love to be attached to. So if you're low in magnesium, which, by the way, the vast majority of adults in the United States are low in magnesium. And if you have diabetes or prediabetes or heart disease or hypertension, chances are you're even lower. Well, guess what? That is a perfect storm scenario for mercury to just walk on in and take over. Because mercury loves to be where magnesium is supposed to be. Understand that. Pay attention to that. We've already talked about the cardiac CRP, that measure of inflammation. Kidney function, we're going to be looking at in a little bit and how, how critical it is for us to have healthy kidneys because that's what helps us detoxify. 20% of our blood is being filtered by our kidneys every minute. And if our kidneys aren't doing a good job, we have a, tox a toxicity problem. Hormone panels can be important, too, because, because there are scenarios where if you're not detoxifying the hormones properly, you're setting yourself up for cancer. The MTHFR gene mutation test, if you find that there is a mutation, that means that your body isn't able to activate folate, the vitamin folate, very well, and that means that you don't detoxify very well which means that we need to really figure out how to fix this. So there's all kinds of ways to look at this. And here's the key. The key is that you can choose whether or not to pay attention to this critical part of health and healing. I really encourage you that as you consider all the things that you've been learning in this series, that you be willing to work with your healthcare team to figure out what it is that you need to work on. 
Don't just get on a program with everybody else. Let's find out where your weaknesses are. And by doing so, that's going to give you the very best opportunity to dramatically transform your health. Remember, you are the chairman or the chairwoman of your board of health. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can tell you how to go about this. You're the chairman, the chairwoman. Make sure you've collected a healthcare team around you that can help guide you, but ultimately the decision has to come from you or else it's not going to work. You can do it. Thank you. Thank you very much for tonight's presentation. We have a question from Leonard. Do you have any advice regarding carrageenan? It is in so many of the milk alternatives. Okay, so carrageenan is something that is added to many products because it is a thickening agent. And I personally don't have a huge issue with that, but I think the wise thing would be to limit it. Uh, many of the soy milks or the store-bought uh, soy products or, or soy milks or other uh, imitation milk products will use some carrageenan as a, as a thickening agent. So just, just limit that. But I wouldn't focus on that. Okay? I, would, I would focus on the obvious toxins, right? The most obvious toxins come from consuming foods that have been exposed to animals, right? Dairy products, cheeses, fish, chicken, uh, meats, etc. That's where the vast majority of toxins are going to be. And that, by the way, that's not a very popular message. I, I know that. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you understand kind of this whole new paradigm that most people have never heard before, and you don't have to believe me. Check it out for yourself. The key is understanding where do the toxins come from and making sure that we don't get caught up in the minors but emphasize the majors, right? Next question. What are the foods then that help in the process of detoxification? Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, just uh, uh, another plug for that uh, video that is on, on YouTube. Just type in uh, Dr. Wes Youngberg detox, and there's a whole 30 minutes talking about foods that are, that are powerful in helping people detox. But here's the, here's the core to that, and that is make sure that you're getting an average of 15 grams of fiber per meal, if you can. At least 10 grams of fiber per meal from whole food. Not, not just, okay, I'm, I'm getting my tablespoon of Metamucil at every meal, right? Uh, and by the way, most people who take Metamucil are getting it with aspartame to sweeten it up. And we already know from previous studies that aspartame is one of the most inflammatory substances that you can consume. So, so be careful not to 
in the process of doing something you think is good for you, you're actually creating a toxicity that overall makes that uh, more damaging to your body than the benefit that you think you're getting. So that's why you want to get your fiber from whole foods, foods that also give you all those other plant-based chemicals that help your body detoxify. So that's the core. Thank you. If there's anyone in the audience who would like to ask a question, you're welcome to come up and share with us your question. The next question is, what are the advantages of bee pollen? Okay. Um, bee pollen, I'm no expert on bee pollen. However, the, I wouldn't have a problem taking it, uh, just like I wouldn't have problem eating honey. Uh, I've, I've been in arguments before when I was in college with classmates of mine that said, honey is no different than sugar because they're looking at the caloric value. Yeah, there's just as much sugar in honey as there might be in uh, some soda or whatever. But the point is, is that there are certain foods that bring with them many other nutrients or chemicals that have potential healing. And so why I don't personally promote bee pollen or take it myself, I don't have a problem with somebody taking that. And in fact, there may be a lot of value to it, but I, I'm not an expert in that, so I can't say. Hey, Evan, who's in our audience, he would like to ask you a question. Yeah, uh, about three weeks ago, you'd mentioned uh, a vitamin for neuropathy, the foot thing, and, I, and my wife asked me to ask you to give me the, the vitamin so that I can pass. Okay, so uh, a vitamin or a nutrient for neuropathy. There's, there's two key things. If somebody has nerve pain or pain in their extremities associated with irritated nerves, the first one would be alpha-lipoic acid. Alpha-lipoic acid is this very unique antioxidant that has both a, a fat-soluble and water-soluble element to it. So it can work within the bloodstream, within the fluids of the body, and within the actual fatty membranes of the body. And there are many studies documenting that individuals who have nerve damage or neuropathy actually benefit when they consume alpha-lipoic acid, somewhere in the range of 300 milligrams twice a day, especially diabetic neuropathy. So that's, that's uh, one. The other one is making sure that you're getting adequate amounts of the omega-3 oils, the DHA, which can be found as well in the vegan formula from marine algae. So DHA is critical for nerve health as well as the alpha-lipoic acid. Our next question comes from Melissa, and she's from Michigan. Is the use of therapeutic clay for detoxification recommended? It can be, yeah. So therapeutic clay is just kind of a, another way of doing charcoal therapy. It's, it's slightly different, but it's essentially accomplishing the same thing. It has this adsorptive quality that just draws in toxins. And why I don't personally uh, use that, I, it's, it's a little bit out of my expertise. I've, I've had so much 
benefit from just using and recommending the activated charcoal, uh, that that seems to work very good. But I've had patients who swore by the benefits of the clays as well. I think these are all of our questions, and actually we have one more from our audience. In 1981, I, I read some research by Dr. Kirk Oster, uh, he did a worldwide research on homogenization of uh, dairy products. Uh, can you, uh, what he basically had said is an xanthine oxidase enzyme went into the bloodstream after they homogenized uh, dairy products and was allowed to get in the bloodstream and start digesting the walls, the interior walls of our, our blood veins and that uh, the liver produced cholesterol and went to repair it. I saw also uh, a documentary called Food Inc., which sort of added to that and, and the uh, removal of calcium from your bones and also for, from dairy products. Can you add to that? Thank you for, for that question. Um, yes, there, I have seen uh, papers and in, 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 uh, write-ups relative to this issue of homogenation of, mil uh, of milk and how that actually increased the potential for the atherosclerotic process to move forward. And so uh, that, that's, that's one of many reasons why I personally no longer use dairy, try to avoid that entirely in my diet. Um, and I have, I have learned that one of the first foods to encourage people to avoid as, we're, as, as they're wrestling with any type of health concern is to usually move away from dairy. Uh, and, and because it, it has such a wide influence, and there's so many potential toxins also uh, in hormones and pesticides or, and in and antibiotics that come with it. And so it's just, it's just easier to let the body heal without the exposure to that. We want to thank Dr. Wes Youngberg for tonight's presentation. And we also want to ask him if we're meeting next week. Next week, I believe, is Memorial Day weekend. It's yeah. Yes. Okay. Good night.